Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 13. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, Jeevana interviews me (laughs) about my upcoming course, Making Peace With Your Body. I'll share openly about why I chose to do this body image work and how this work is intertwined in my own experience as someone who lives in a fat body. This conversation talks about the toxic nature of diet culture, the harm inflicted on folks in larger bodies within the medical industrial complex, and the ways dominant culture devalues folks in bigger bodies. I'll be talking about how we can divest ourselves from diet culture and lean into our personal power and what body image work has to do with social justice. I'll also let you know about the upcoming Making Peace With Your Body course. Enrollment is open this week and what to expect. Here we go. Hi, everybody. And hi, Amber. Thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, good to hear Uh, from you. Yeah, I I am so excited to talk about your new course um, on the Accessible Yoga Training School platform. Um, you know, I'm glad that we can host a program. I know you've been offering in the community for a while at the Making Peace with Our Bodies. Is that the title? Yes. Making Peace Making with, peace your, with body. your Body. With your body. With your body. All of our bodies, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. All with our communal body. Right. Um, yeah. So um, I just wonder, I wanted to like get some background maybe from you. I don't know if you could um, talk a bit about like why you're doing this course, maybe to start with, like what, what led you to do this work in the first place? Sure. So um, this work of making peace with my body, and I, I liked how you said the collective body, it was <laughs> definitely, I feel like part of it. We'll talk more about diet culture in a minute, um, but that's definitely at the cornerstone of my work and my activism and my yoga journey and my yoga practice are, Uh, intimately intertwined with my body image and sort of my relationship to my own body and how that's changed over the years. Um, So for those of you that don't know me or my work, I I identify as fat. Um, I use that word to describe my body. I'm in a plus size body, a larger body. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I use the word fat. uh, And so for anyone that's never maybe heard that word as sort of like something that someone's claimed proudly, uh, I just want to say that... um, you know, in society, I think that there are a lot of uh, things that are layered on top of fat bodies, a lot of assumptions, a lot of biases that we have. And so um, many people in larger bodies have like reclaimed that word, uh, much in the same way that, you know, queer folks have reclaimed the word queer. Yeah. That is often, you know, layered with stigma or shame or assumptions. And so when I use that word, I it's a neutral descriptor. You know, I'm fat, I'm short, I have tattoos, I have, you know, glasses, those kinds of things. So anyway, uh, I just have to say that disclaimer. No, I appreciate that. That's a new concept. Yeah, no, it's good because I think there are other terms that are actually offensive, right? Like um, obese or what are, there's some. Yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe we'll get into all of that. Like it's definitely a a bigger conversation around um, health and weight and sort of how those are related. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, Terms like obesity or overweight, you know, really pathologize larger bodies. By that, I mean they project uh, disease or like they turn sort of like all fat bodies into um, a patient in the medical system that has a condition that needs treatment. You know what I mean? And 
The truth is that um, having a large body is not inherently make you unhealthy. There are healthy and unhealthy people of all different shapes and sizes. And so, yeah, um, yeah there is a, a push within the fat acceptance community and social justice um, circles to use the word fat as a descriptor rather than these like clinical medical terms that don't even apply to all people in larger bodies. So yeah. anyhow, um, I know we sort of tangented there, but no, it's, it's important. It's um, essential. It reminds me actually of a conversation we had, I think a few podcasts ago around um, ableism and the difference between a medical model of, of disability and the cultural model, you know, yes. and kind of seeing, it seems like you're describing fat as just part of you at your life as part of your culture. It's like part of who you are. Yeah, uh, it's just so interesting. But I think that this is all around, um, you know, the kind of the context of the world we're living in and mm -hmm. um, maybe a diet culture that we're responding to. So is that is that what this is about, that you're, you're responding to um, th this kind of diet culture telling us all we need to be a certain way? Right? Yeah, definitely. Like this, you know, this work, um, the course, but also just like the larger sort of scope of my work as a teacher is around this journey of body acceptance and of self-acceptance, um, which has walked hand in hand with the yoga practice for me. Um, you know, I think diet culture, you know, that's a, a phrase that you'll hear a lot if you <laughs> follow me around or um, take this course or anything. Diet culture, I kind of use to describe like the way that society, that dominant culture is really oriented to teach us to believe like these whole series of things about our bodies, right? So diet culture is this automatic assumption that a thin body is the ultimate ideal, right? That thin is ideal and being bigger is bad. And we see this manifest in many, many ways, right? In yoga spaces that, you know, when like yoga marketing, we only see usually thin, you know, able-bodied, like hyper-fit, hyper-flexible people, right? We, um, you know, this shows up in when, uh, you know, a person in a larger body goes to a gym and it's assumed mm -hmm. that they're there to lose weight and to change their bodies. It shows up um, in the medical field, you know, it, where uh, folks in larger bodies are discriminated against systemically. Like we have to, you know, um, basically like, be questioned or not be taken seriously when we go to doctor's offices. Um, oftentimes we, mm -hmm. we show up and the issue that we're there to be treated for is totally ignored. Tests aren't run and we're just told to go get weight loss surgery or something like that. Right. So dominant culture, you know, diet culture is really, um, <laughs> I don't know. I used to say it's like the love child of like white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy, but it's more like one of those like horror movie baby dolls oh, or God. something. So yeah. like, you know, so when we think about the systems of oppression that we live under, you know, we have um, capitalism, which equates our worth with our productivity, right? It Capitalism laid on type of diet culture sounds like, you know, your body is a problem and you need to solve it. Your body is a project that you should constantly be working on until it is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Like as if that perfect body exists, we can talk more about that later, but that's sort of the conditioning we have, right? That there, there's this hierarchy of bodies, right? And some bodies are more valuable than other bodies. When we look at white supremacy, that goes heavily toward the beauty standards that we mm -hmm. have in our society. And um, 
when, you know, some bodies, thin, able, young, you know, uh, wealthy, white, cisgender, you know, those are held up as like the best thing to be and sort of the thing that we aspire to. And so, um, you know, white supremacy shows up in diet culture in that way. And then patriarchy. Patriarchy sounds like, you know, don't be so loud, don't be so bitchy, don't be so, you know, big, don't be so extra, like make yourself smaller, don't make a scene, <laughs> know your place, you know, like all of those sorts of messages, which are rampant through diet culture. Like when we think about the, um, literally the mandate that's put on us to take up less space. And so when we think about how those systems of oppression sort of translate into uh, and onto the body, then we can start seeing like how that shows up in um, in our everyday life, right? Like when, you know, we talked about yoga marketing, that's one way it shows up. When fat folks go to the doctor um, and they prescribe weight loss instead of treating the issue. You know, when um, folks in larger bodies are, uh, and this is something that's been well studied, are passed over for promotions or when they are mm -hmm. hired, they're paid less than their thin counterparts, right? Like. Mm -hmm. This, this is, and it, it, and it shows up in yoga spaces too. You know, when I, uh, I, before the pandemic, I traveled, um, you know, for a good part of the year and I've taught in dozens and dozens of yoga studios and I can count on one hand the amount that carried clothing that I could purchase in my size. And so like it trickles down to so many um, lived experiences in the everyday lives of fat folks and even folks who and and everyone else too right because mm -hmm. if you're not in a larger body then that mandate is always there to not become fat right mm -hmm. we don't you know everyone should be working on their health all the time everyone should constantly be trying to improve their body or trying to lose weight like if you think about like the most popular new year's resolution every year like yeah. it's just assumed that you're going to want to do that right and so there are these big and small ways that diet culture and fat phobia really, um, you know, are harmful to everybody and not just folks in larger bodies or not just to women, but in the ways that this like plays out um, throughout oh, our yeah. society and culture. Well, I say with my husband who's fat, he really, you know, struggles with his body image because of that. And it feels to me like it's just like a, a lot of wasted energy and time and money. I mean, it just feels like that's, that's part of what I hear from you and in, in this training. It looks like it's about refocusing that energy, um, learning how it's not just like love yourself, but like really trying to understand the root of the issues um, and then use the energy to be more, I don't know what, productive or in yourself, just like to invest in yourself. Is that true? Is that what? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if you think about it, I mean, most people I think listening to this can probably relate to feeling like their body is not good enough, whatever that means, right? Maybe it's not as young as it once was. Maybe you don't have the abilities that you'd like to have. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not, maybe it doesn't look as beautiful or sexy or attractive or whatever the thing is that you wish you were, you know what I mean? And so, you know, many people can relate, I think, to the, the idea that, um, that they're pursuing this, um, this this body or this improvement on themselves and so i think that when we buy into the idea that 
we need something that we don't have in order to be happy. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about attachment and uh-huh. non-attachment, <laughs> yeah. right? That it, when we go to the concept of attachment and non-attachment in yoga, right? Like uh, an attachment is something that we think we need outside of ourselves in order to be happy or to be whole, right? And so culture teaches us in very real ways with real consequences, right? We talked about like how fat phobia shows up and all those examples I gave that being in, you know, a smaller body is better than being in a larger body. Mm-hmm. Um, we can spend, you know, half our brain power, thousands of dollars a year, and like tons of time pursuing this thin ideal. And, you know, the statistics on dieting are pretty extreme, right? Like two to 5% of people are able to keep weight off that they attempt to lose um, after a year. That means 95 to 98% of the time people are quote unquote failing at diets, which I mean, I think, you know, or failing at intentional weight loss, I would say, um, whether that's through dieting or some other means. And so, you know, I think that um, there's this idea that if we, um, if we finally lose the weight, if we finally look better, if we finally, you know, get our degree or have a relationship or, you know, get the, the house or the car or whatever it is that, that um, signifies to us that we've, that we've made it, that we've done good, that we're mm-hmm. finally enough. Like our brain tells us then, oh, then I won't make you feel bad all the time. <laughs> then I won't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. then you'll feel then like if you finally lose the weight, all your problems will be gone because we know that skinny people don't have any problems. But, but right? can I just so. say like that reminds me, that <laughs> reminds me of the um, the intersection with this, this political structure we're in. And it feels a bit like it's a way of drawing attention away from actually addressing bigger issues, you know, giving time. Like people are so spent, waste so much time Yes. Thinking about dieting and food and obsessing about how they look, you know, rather than actually making change in the world. I mean, a lot of people are doing both, but I'm just saying, like, it feels like a lot of energy wasted that could be questioning the system. Yeah, there um, is a um, there's a an author, Naomi Wolf, who's um, oh, written yeah. a book called The Beauty Myth. She's a very well known yeah. um, writer on this topic. And she has a quote that I think really sums up well what you just said, which is um, I'm just going to read it. A culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. And, you know, even this, even though this speaks to women, I think that it does, um, you know, it's broadly applicable that when we spend so much time and so much money and so much energy on obsessing over our appearance of finding, you know, constantly finding fault when we stand in front of the mirror, obsessing over every calorie that goes into our mouth, judging everyone else around us and ranking ourselves somewhere that like all that stuff that comes along with diet culture. Just think about what that steals away from you, right? What that steals away from like, what art you could make, what cause you could speak out about, like what project you could launch that's really meaningful to you. Like if you got back all the time and the energy and the money that you've spent on trying to fix yourself or trying to Mm. fit into some arbitrary standard of beauty, which is set up by these systems of oppression in the first place, like what could you do? You know, like we, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times, um, I've gotten the question, like, is this really the most important thing? 
that we could be working on. Well, right? especially like, these days, like things these are days, especially chaotic, right? Like, there's so much. Like, why body image? Why is that important? And I just think that, you know, our thoughts drive our feelings, and our feelings drive our actions. And so, if our thoughts are constantly focused on finding what is wrong with us of trying to attain, uh, trying to assimilate basically into Mm -hmm. the beauty standards that these systems of oppression have set up to do the very thing, to to maintain their own status quo, right? To keep the people in privilege and in power with that privilege and that power because this thin body is so difficult to attain, because this perfect physique is something that a very narrow segment of the population can naturally Mm -hmm. uh, do, you know, then if we are so obsessed with trying to fit into that, then we can't really step into our personal power or our purpose. You know, if we're constantly depending on some expert's list of foods or calorie count or Mm. some extrinsic, you know, state sponsored height and weight ratio, these extrinsic inputs um, to define like who we are, then we forget that we have personal power. We forget that we have political power. Mm. We forget that we can take care of ourselves and that actually we have everything we need inside of our bodies and our nervous systems to decide what to eat and how much and when to exercise and how to take care of ourselves. Because, you know, diet culture teaches us to divest our wisdom from our bodies and give that power to somebody else Mm. who can tell you how to like, look your best and be the healthiest or whatever. And I'm not saying we shouldn't like consult experts for help. Of course we should. But when we, um, when we personally, like the dynamics of oppression that exist in dominant culture replicate themselves, right? They replicate themselves in our institutions and then our relationships, which includes our relationships to each other and our own relationships to ourselves and to our bodies. So if we are constantly criticizing, finding fault, obsessing over flaws with ourselves, how do you think we're going to relate to other people, especially those people who we have a harder time seeing and connecting with their humanity? Mm-hmm. And sometimes like sometimes that's fat folks, sometimes that's disabled folks, sometimes that's people of color, sometimes that's trans folks, right? Like if you have a lot of privilege and you've had a hard time like relating to people that are very different than you like this is the work this is the work to Mm. dig this stuff out and find like where your biases lie when it comes to talking Mm. about bodies when it comes to talking about uh beauty and ability and worth and productivity and all of that stuff like it is all tied together and so that's why i think it's so important that's amazing yeah i hadn't made that connection so clearly before but um I wanted to go back to something you just said. You just talked about this um, external focus versus like an internal focus, mm-hmm. which reminds me of yoga. So maybe you could talk about the role of yoga um, in, in this course, because I know that this is based on yoga, right? That's the idea here is that you're... Totally, yeah. You know, and my, you know, my journey with body acceptance and self-acceptance is intimately tied to my yoga practice. Um, I came to my yoga practice at the same time uh, that I was finding out about the fat acceptance movement and getting my, you know, education in social justice and feminism and all of that, like in my early 20s, I sort of came across at the same time. And, you know, yoga really gave me a way to relate to my body for the first time that was not based in this idea that I'm talking about of 
lack or of needing to be fixed or healed. And we actually have a whole episode about that. Um, Mm. But it's the same idea that if you are in a larger body, then your body is a problem to be solved. And so my relationship to my body was that it, it was wrong and that it probably didn't have anything to do with the real me. And that someday when I lost the weight, then I could like be myself and then I could, you know, step into my power and you know, do all of the things that I had been postponing. And so I actually came to yoga through um, a gym that I was working out out at to lose weight, like all those years ago. And the trainer recommended yoga to like, quote unquote, do this on your rest days, because it doesn't count as exercise, but you'll still burn a lot of calories. Like that's how it was recommended to me. And so when I approached yoga, I just thought like, okay, this is part of the weight loss thing. But I didn't think about it as exercise. So when I went to that first yoga class, I I noticed that when I left, I felt more grounded. Like my negative self-talk was actually shut up for a few minutes in the car. Mm. Like that really was the thing that grabbed my attention. And that made me so curious because like that sort of, I call it my mean girl soundtrack. Like (laughs) I think a lot of people can relate to this sort of like this negative self-talk anxiety soundtrack that plays all the time. That's like, you're fat, you're ugly. Everyone's mad at you. Why'd you say that stupid thing three weeks ago? You know, like it's this constant. I think men men have, or maybe gay men, I just say gay men have that for sure. I think a lot of people have that. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's not about your appearance, it's second guess is what you did. Or it's this whole like imposter syndrome, right? That you're not good enough, that everybody is going to find out you're a fraud. Anyway, so, you know, I kind of had always had that as like a low hum of (laughs) talk in the background. And I noticed after these yoga classes I would go to that it would be quieter. And that got me so curious. And I, I realized that like, I was really in my body for the first time practicing yoga, like since I've been a little kid. And by that, I mean, like, when I was a kid, my relationship to movement, and I I use the word movement instead of exercise very intentionally. um, But my relationship to movement was sort of more integrated experience. It was like, I was riding my bike to get to the pond so I can catch tadpoles, or I was like jumping on a trampoline, or I was swimming in the pool because it was fun, right? Like I was moving my body because it felt good or it got me somewhere I needed to be or whatever. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult or I would say a teenager actually that I started thinking about movement or exercise as something that was done to fix or to change the body, right? Now, you know, as an adult, exercise became about like punishing the body because it's not the right size or burning Mm. off calories that I needed to earn the food that I ate or good people exercise, lazy people don't, right? Like there's all these sort of extrinsic messages that the movement practice became about something from the outside rather than something that was coming from inside um, and that was more joyful or pleasurable. And so Mm. I think that you know, yoga allowed me to have a physical experience of my body that was positive or that was, you know, from a more neutral place and not from a place of I need to do this to change or fix myself. It was more about I'm doing something with my body for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like my body was, I could see it as like a partner in crime kind of of like, oh, we're doing this yoga project, which at first wasn't even about like the physical benefits that I received it was totally about like the mental health benefits and the ways that I learned to work with my mind and learn to, you know, quiet the mind. And I think that if we're going to approach body image, like 
the number one thing that I want everybody to know is like your body image has nothing to do with the way your body looks or its physical ability or its age or any of those kind of circumstances. Your body image 100% has to do with your mind. Right. Right. And I'm going to make my case here because a lot of people are like, nah, if I was skinny, I wouldn't think any mean thoughts about myself. Okay. I'm going to prove you wrong because everybody (laughs) has seen a picture of themselves when they were younger. Right. Mm. And, and probably looked at that picture and said something like, oh my gosh, I was so cute. I was so skinny. I was so beautiful. I was so whatever. Right. I wish I would do any, I would kill to have that body. Like Mm. I can't think of how many times I've heard someone do that, Mm. but Think back to when that picture was taken, if you've had this experience yourself. Did you, at that time, think you were beautiful and perfect and would have killed right. to have that? I know. Of course not. No, right? Yeah. 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 And so, like, your body image actually has nothing to do with what your body looks like. It has to do with the thoughts that you think about your body. It has to do with, well, a lot of us have an attachment, right, to what our body looks like or how it functions or whatever. And so, the yoga practice can start to point those things out and I think also give us ways to work with the mind um, and to work with the thoughts. And that's a huge part of the way that I address body image work is it's a lot about untangling, unlearning the things that we've been conditioned to believe by dominant culture and really question, like, are these beliefs things that I think are true, that feel intrinsically true to me? Um, Are these things that line up with my highest self? Um, Are they coming from inside of me? Are are they, you know, or are these things that I've been taught to believe by society? Are these things that have been implicit and explicit messages that I've received from the day that I was born? And so, like, we actually have to take stock of what's there. We have to, first of all, like, confront what we believe or what we've been told about our bodies we have to understand how that fits into, I think, this bigger picture. And that's why I talk about white supremacy and capitalism and mm-hmm. patriarchy and diet culture, because, you know, a lot of times I think that advice given when it's like, how do you, you know, improve your body image is stuff like, well, just buy a new red lipstick and a new black dress and then you feel better <laughs> about yourself. Or it's stuff like just, you know sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do some affirmations and work on your self-esteem, right? It's sort of always put on the person as sort of like, it's your problem to fix when society is like why we are messed up about our bodies in the first place. So, right. So then in yoga practice, that's how we work on it. They're saying like, yeah. So with yoga practice, I think there's like so many ways in, right? We have the physical practice, the asana, the, um, the ways that we work with the nervous system, to notice sensation, to come back home to the body. One of the the biggest things that diet culture teaches us to do is to ignore the body, right? If we have to restrict our food intake, right, so that we can, you know, successfully diet, to a degree, to be able to do that, you have to turn off, like, listening to the signals of hunger and fullness, right? And that's just one way that diet culture like di- like divests you from the wisdom of, of the body that's there. And so with the yoga practice, like we turn that attention back inward. We take that locus of control, that lens um, from that extrinsic lens of food and movement and pleasure and health and all the things that like, you know, when you go on a diet, you have to sort of like give away your power to do or when you attempt to lose weight, um, however that is, when you attempt to change your body. And so... 
with yoga, we turn that attention back inward. And the yoga practice for me is, you know, one of liberation. It's about remembering the truth of who we are, remembering that personal power and that agency that we have, and then learning to uh, to be in the body in a way that's neutral or that's positive and that's not about changing or fixing. It's about um, unlearning the things that have been programmed into us about bodies and worth and hierarchy and all of that stuff and recognizing that, you know, we have that we were not born like ranking bodies by attractiveness. That was something that was taught to us. Right. Yeah. And so like if it can be learned, that means it can be unlearned. And so we learn to work with the minds like we we learn to um, to uh, practice Pratipakshabhavada, which is a, a concept from the yoga practice about choosing the opposite thought and learning to actually with some techniques from like cognitive psychology, learn to be able to shift our thoughts from a place of. Um, maybe we're in a place of hate or a place of loathing or a place of insecurity and moving to a more helpful place. And for a lot of people, you know, the goal is to love their body, but I don't think that has to be the goal for everybody. I think that right. just getting to a more neutral place or a more, um, a place of acceptance is a really far way to come. Uh, it's a tall order That's what <laughs> in I was... a society that literally, yeah. you know, connects your worth to the way that you look. Yeah. That's what I was wondering about actually. Um, yeah. is there like an ideal body image? Like, I mean, is it just personal? Like so I really, my definition of positive body image means that you have an accurate perception of what you actually look like, like <laughs> to other people, you know what I mean? And not in a judgmental way, but in a way of like, you can perceive like yourself accurately. I hope that makes sense. But I, I really encourage people to um, mm -hmm. to set a personal goal of how they want to feel. And actually when we work through, um, like how to choose thoughts on purpose instead of like letting this conditioning from dominant culture run away with us. Mm. We talk about like connecting the thought, the way you choose a thought that feels more powerful or more helpful is you figure out how do you want to feel. And so for some people, they may want to feel beautiful or they may want to feel sexy or they mm. may want to feel desirable or attractive. Some people might want to feel a sense of acceptance or a sense of neutrality. Um, the word that I uh, work to achieve with my body image is unbothered. <laughs> uh -huh. So it's not something that you're going to probably want to like embroider onto a pillow or <laughs> make it to a Pinterest graphic. But the point is, like for me, I just want to be able to like have a body that functions well enough that I can get my life done, that I can enjoy you know, the things that I want to do in my life, um, that I can feel pleasure and joy and all the things in my body. But I want to feel unbothered about it. Like, I don't want to obsess over the way it looks. I don't want to think about every calorie that I put into my mouth. I have more important things to do. And so, like, for me, the, the thoughts that I practice go toward that. You know, like, it's very different intention, I think, to be neutral or accepting or just existing in a body versus trying to... Um, love your body all the mm, time. And yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think as body positivity as a concept has been more co-opted by the mainstream, you know, now we see diet companies and beauty companies using yeah. liberatory language that was, you know, born out of the body positivity and the fat acceptance movement to sell diet culture. It's, it's, it yeah. happens, you know, it always happens when, um, movements by and for marginalized folks get co-opted by the mainstream. But, um, 
Mm. You know, I I like lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? <laughs> uh, you're talking. Well, you're talking about neutrality versus body positivity. Oh, right, right. Okay, so like uh, it's one of the downfalls I think of how body positivity has sort of been co-opted by the mainstream is like we um there's sort of this relentless cheerleading to like love your body like think you're beautiful you know no matter what you look like you're so beautiful and i don't really think that that's necessary or realistic right like i think that even when if if we only make our goal to feel beautiful like whatever that means right then what we're basically saying is okay dominant culture we will concede that beauty is very important. In fact, for some of us, the most important thing that we can be. So if we expand these beauty standards a little bit, then like, you know, everybody can play. And like, that doesn't do anyone any good because I don't really believe that a society that's based, that bases worth on like a hierarchy of some like, you know, beauty currency or like that your looks determine whether or not you're beautiful, like whatever that means somebody's going to get left out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, we don't need to like expand the beauty standards so that, you know, people in bigger bodies can be beautiful too. Like we need a whole new system. (laughs) We need to understand that our worth is not connected to our appearance. And that to me is where yoga philosophy like fits so beautifully into this work because, you know, we know that we are not our body. We are not our job. We're not our bank account. We're not our relationships. We're not any of that stuff. Like, I think that yoga can really help us to remember our own humanity and that we have inherent worth and value as human beings. And when we can recognize that and realize that we are enough as we are, um, then we can more easily like recognize that humanity in other people. And I think like that's one of the reasons that it's important for us to get free from diet culture. Like we need to use all that time and money and energy and all of that stuff to actually like live our yoga practice and fight for the full humanity of people who have less yeah. privilege than us. You know what I mean? We have to like fighting for like working to improve your own body image is amazing because you deserve to feel great about yourself, but also like, Mm. fighting for the you know all bodies like all the ugly and unworthy bodies i'm putting those (laughs) words in scare quotes right but society tells us that there is a hierarchy and there is a rank and like i think fighting for everyone to be seen as inherently worthy will actually create that that world we want to see like that is part of social justice. And so I think like that is one of the reasons why like getting free from diet culture is so important because I don't know, I just feel like we have so much more important things to do than to obsess over our appearance or make our whole lives about like trying to fix or change something about ourselves that actually is not a problem. Yeah. I mean, I've seen you make a huge impact in the yoga world. I mean, just um, by like showing different bodies practicing, but I find it really annoying, like in yoga, when um, people kind of, um, what's the word, like, get excited when they see someone in large, with a larger body do some advanced pose, as mm-hmm. if it's like some, it's like, it feels like performance, like, uh, do you know what I mean? I don't know. I do, yeah, I think this shows up a lot, um, where I think when we, because of the way that diet culture has layered itself on top of yoga world, right? And yoga marketing. 
um, where, you know, mainly we only see representation of people who are young, thin, white, cisgender, you know, hyper flexible. Like the, if you Google yoga, the people that come up there um, in, the, <laughs> yeah. in, in the image search, right? Yeah. And they're doing hyper gymnastics poses in $100 yoga pants, right? Like we've seen that stuff be the marketing of yoga for years and years in the West. And so that sets a certain expectation, right? In our, in our visual cortex of our brains that says like, this is what a yoga body looks like. We've been conditioned a little bit about that, right? And so when we only see bodies that look like that, then we assume that that is those are the bodies that do those things. And then on the flip side, we have all of this conditioning about fat bodies and what they can do and what they can't do. Right. And so many people have bias and assumptions, you know, mm. implicit bias, unexamined bias. That's just trickled mm. down to us from the conditioning of the culture that fat bodies can't do uh, difficult physical feats. You know, we can't do handstands, for instance, or something like that. And so when a person in a bigger body does the, one of those things that defies pop, uh, dominant culture's expectations, then all of a sudden people are sort of confronted by their bias. And one of the ways that that's, that, that reaction happens is like they're, you know, there's a lot of cheerleading or a lot of praise mm -hmm. that yeah. happens, right? When someone in a bigger body or maybe even this happens to disabled folks too, someone with yeah. a, a disability does something, then all of a sudden they're not just a regular person doing that thing. They're an inspiration or they're, yeah. you know, there's a big deal made out of that fact. And I think that, you know, we just need to normalize the fact that folks in all different kinds of bodies, shapes, sizes, ages, and abilities can do all different kinds of things. Yeah, <laughs> there exactly. Are not, you know, fat people are not a monolith. Disabled people are not a monolith. People no. of color are not a Like, these marginalized identities are not, um, like, we are individual people <laughs> with individual gifts and lived experiences, too. And I think that, you know, for yoga teachers, um, especially, I think this is something that, like, working on the implicit bias that we hold, um, that unexamined conditioning that sort of made its way into our psyche because we are all sort of like swimming in the same soup mm -hmm. <laughs> of diet culture and, and, and these systems of oppression that we've been talking about. Like that stuff just embeds itself into our imagination and our belief system. And so a huge part, I think, of creating spaces in these these yoga spaces these learning spaces that um where people can really feel safe to be in their bodies to explore to do this inner work it's so important that we start to examine where those biases are and mm -hmm. what we you know what we believe and i think like it's really um self-study is really key and it's one of the other gifts that i think the yoga practice mm -hmm. can give us is this ability to look inward and and to be able to observe without judgment. Yeah, that's because yoga. This stuff can flare up some judgment, let me tell you. Um, when we start to dig into the conditioning that we have, when we start to dig into the bias that we feel, you know, mm. maybe we're even someone that's in a bigger body and we, we start to uncover the internalized oppression that we, that mm. we hold in ourselves and towards others, like, it can bring up a lot of judgment. It can bring up a lot of hard feelings. And so mm -hmm. that's why I think this work goes so beautifully hand in hand with the yoga practice because yoga 
gives us so many tools and technologies for working with our nervous system, for dealing with uncomfortable feelings, for making friends with our minds and working with our thoughts, for coming home to the body in a way that's not based in lack or fixing or changing something. Like, it's just such a, I think, human-centered and, like, um, yeah. non-threatening way in to this that's work. Beautiful. Uh, that I... Yeah, maybe I'll stop there. Well, can you just, I just wondered, one last thing is if you could just give a little uh, description of the course. Is there anything that you could say about how, how it works? Yeah, I would love to. So um, the course is called Making Peace with Your Body. Um, this is originally a weekend intensive that I used to teach in person. And so I'm bringing it online for the very first time. And I'm actually adding a good bit of content that wasn't covered in the weekend. So I'm very excited about that. Um, it's going to start um, in on October 27th and run through November 19th. So we'll be meeting twice a week um, for those four weeks. And this is really an online course and also a community of people um, that we're all going to be working toward accepting our bodies and building confidence and really learning to step fully into the, the personal power and the, the lives that we really want to live. And so um, we're going to look toward concepts from yoga philosophy to really learn to connect with that personal power that I was talking about and work with our minds and come back to a place of trust and acceptance with our bodies. And so um, we're going to, you know, each session will have a movement practice, some breathing practices, um, things like that, and a bit of like lecture and group discussion. So um, the entire curriculum you can find on the Accessible Yoga Training site, and we'll give the links for that in the show notes. But we'll be talking about things like, um, you know, understanding body image through a social justice-focused lens. Um, we will be talking about these much more about the systems of oppression and sort of how diet culture um, has made its way into our everyday lives and where we can start to address that. Um, we talk a lot about like working on our thoughts, working with our thoughts to be able to choose thoughts on purpose that um, make us uh, feel the way we want to feel so that we can take the action that we want to take in the world. And so um, we've also going to uh, have a whole module that's about the holidays <laughs> mm, since we'll be wrapping up yeah. in mid-November. Um, I know that, you know, this year is stressful. The holiday season is probably stressful for a lot of different reasons, right? Pandemic notwithstanding. But a lot of people, I think, can relate to feeling stressed and they go home for the holidays, whether that's like, you know, dealing with family members that you'd rather not interact with or getting comments on your weight or people that want to police your food or whatever. Like there's so much body image stuff that's difficult about the holidays. And so we're going to have a whole session about that. Like, I think this is going to be um, a really rich um, month of learning and unlearning. And I'm just so excited about bringing a community of people together that are committed to doing this work for themselves with an eye towards social justice, grounded in the in the practice of yoga, like I, it just is so exciting to me to think about the mm, the spread or the um, the impact of something like that, right? Like, imagine you know if just one person can set aside sort of the this lifelong obsession with food and weight and appearance and constantly like nitpicking themselves and really step into the fullness of all the gifts that they have in the world of being able to live their yoga practice, you know, then yeah. 
what if we get 10 or 20 or 100 people who are doing that, who are moving fully into their lives and taking up more space, maybe figuratively, maybe literally, right? Mm. To be able to um, really like f- create the world that they want to see. You know, I yeah. think like getting free of diet culture is a really radical path. And one of the things that I have found to be the most true about that path is that it happens better in community. Like most things. (laughs) Like most things, right? Yeah. Like if you uh, like literally existing in a world that constantly tells you that you're not good enough and that your worth is connected to the way you look is exhausting if you're trying to love yourself, if you're trying to accept yourself, if you're trying to not be about that. And so you need other people who are on that same journey to be there with you, to listen to your stories, to share their stories, to share struggles and to really understand like that lived experience and what, you know, and to support ourselves, to support one another as we mm. go through that journey, I think is so important. So I'm really excited to bring a group of people together to study this and to do this work. Um, I think this kind of unlearning and relearning really happens best in community. And so enrollment is now open. If you're listening to this uh, the week of October 19th through the 26th, enrollment is open. If you're listening later, then you can probably still join the wait list for the next time around. Um, but enrollment is open this week. And I just want to say that, um, you know, it is possible. It is possible to reframe your thoughts uh, that are telling you that your body is the cause of all your problems and the thing that's holding you back from your dreams. And I just want to say that uh, a different way is possible, a different way of being in relationship to our bodies that's not based in hierarchy and assimilation and beauty standards that don't line up with what actual human humanity is all about, right? There is a different way. I hope that you'll join us. The course kicks off October 27th and runs through November 19th. We have eight live sessions together. Um, And I just want to emphasize that, you know, this is not a course that's about the power of positive thinking or trying to convince you that all you need is like the right outfit or a new red lipstick and then you'll feel your best. Um, We're really going to look towards these concepts from yoga philosophy to connect with our personal power, make friends with our minds and find body trust. So making peace with your body is really a practice. It's a practice just like your yoga practice. It's not a one and done. And so in this course, we're going to have a consistent practice of reflection and analysis and action taking as a community. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited to deliver this online for the first time, and I hope that you'll join me. Go to AccessibleYogaTraining.com to enroll and to get all the details about the course. You can also join a wait list there. If the time isn't right, we will be running this again in a few months. And so I'd love for you to check it out. We're going to leave it there. Thanks for checking us out. Please leave us a comment, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us when you leave reviews of the podcast because then we know how we can make it better, how we can continue to serve you. We'd love to hear from you. If you like to share the podcast, tag us, uh, send us an email through the website. Let us know what topics you might be interested in, what guests you'd like us to interview. We definitely want to hear from our listeners. We value you so much. And we'll see you next week on the podcast. And hopefully I'll see you in the Making Peace With Your Body course. Thanks. Have a great day.